Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's the Mansion Podcast with Krill Dog and Andy. Hey, what's up and welcome to The Mitchin. We took a couple of weeks off, but now we are back in full fighting force. What is The Mitchin? It's a podcast about food in Sydney and the people who cook it. Three of those people are me, Andrew Levins, uh, Mike Eggett from Pinbone, and Mitchell Orr from Acme. We are the hosts of The Mitchin. Say hi, guys. Hey. And we're the only ones that cook it. What? Today. Yeah. There is no other cooks right. What's in What's full fighting force mean? Full fighting force. It, yeah. It's what happens after you eat too much Christmas ham uh, okay. for the most part of January. Did you say fighting or farting? I definitely said fighting, yeah. but uh, Mitch hears what he wants to hear. Yeah, because I reckon after all that ham, it's definitely not fighting. <laughs> uh, great banter, guys, and I look forward to having much more of it with our guests today. Uh, we have a, uh, a full table. You know, last year, one of our iTunes reviews said that... Uh, with six people, it doesn't make a good podcast. There's too many voices. So uh, on her advice, we have seven with us today. Um, we have uh, two Australians that are too good for Australia and moved to America. Uh, one American who is too good for America and is in Australia at the moment. And Cam Fairbarn from Acme. Hey, guys. Uh, also joining us, uh, we have um, Aaron Pooley, uh, uh, once once of Epping, now of Napa Valley, California. That's correct. Um, she is a winemaker, um, and her wine is called Wei Chi. Wei Chi, yeah. Nailed it. Me on. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking a little bit about wine and Napa Valley with her and her partner, Ryan Harris, who uh, currently runs a restaurant in Napa Valley called The Proper Sandwich. Yep. And uh, has, <laughs> thanks so much, uh, and has, uh, has basically cooked his way around America, cooking in... Uh, Various restaurants in uh, New York, the Bay Area, Nashville. Do you want to run through some of the, the better restaurants you cooked at? Some of the better restaurants I cooked at? Uh, the most recent was the restaurant at Meadowood in St. Helena. Uh, prior to that, I opened a cocktail bar with some guys in Nashville called the Patterson House. And then I staged around New York at uh, Blue Hill Stone Barns and Per Se, which... Uh, Did you read Per Se? I just read the new today? article today. Yeah. So good. I, I was there in 2007. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely want to talk about that person. And what, what about some of the worst restaurants you worked in? Uh, let's per see. Se. I worked in a restaurant that, <laughs> that closed six weeks later. In <laughs> um, a taco joint in college. That was pretty fun. <laughs> nice. And finally, we have, uh, we, look, we heard the feedback. You want more Levenses on the Mitch in, <laughs> in 2015. Mitch, you said you wanted to do her intro. I just wanted to say that we have a better Levens, that's all. Oh, nailed Woo! it, bro. Killed it. <laughs> Uh, she has worked uh, for all three hosts of the Mitchin, or with all three hosts of the Mitchin, uh, at Duke Bistro on the floor with um, Mike and Mitch, and uh, at the Dip when uh, at my restaurant when uh, we needed people to fill in in the kitchen or the floor. Uh, when you needed a better Levens to fill in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's your business card. 
her name is Emily Levins, and uh, she's been working in uh, a restaurant in New York for the last three years. Uh, called for Thomas Limbo, too. Another uh, Duke Connect. That's true. Uh, yeah. Called Dudley's. Hi, Emily. Welcome. Hey. This is the first time I've ever held a microphone. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. What yeah. about, Me what too. About, what about your illustrious oh, wait, rap careers? Yeah, yeah, karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our final guest uh, tonight is the ongoing um, construction work on Roslyn Gardens, St. Elizabeth Bay. Uh, Mitch, uh, thanks so much for living here. <laughs> it's too it's too hot to close the windows, but yeah, so too, yeah, too muggy. And uh, if you hear some vague machinery in the background, that's not a fan. It's the air multiplying because yeah. Mitch is fancy and has a Dyson. It, is it multiplying or volumizing? Oh, really? Uh, it might be an air volumizer. It's not very cold in here, so I don't think it's doing anything. <laughs> my, my feet are getting a nice breeze. <laughs> that's all that's important. Also, shout out to Mitch's street for I feel like ten people. Uh, decided today is a good day to put my Christmas tree on the street. Yeah, they did. I your, noticed your, that. Your entire like street. I can grave that out there. Yeah, it's, it smells like pine. It's great. Uh, so before we get stuck into uh, learning more about my guests, I thought we would introduce a new segment that I, I want to do each week on the Mitchin. I thought we could say, we, we could call this one um, sh- sh- Shit Chef's Tweet. Yeah, that sure. works. That works. Yeah. And uh, so it's a game. Or and chefs uh, used to tweet because yeah. nobody tweets anymore. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out che- um, tweets that chefs have made, or Sydney chefs or people in the Sydney food industry, and everyone at the table has to guess who did those tweets. Um, now, I feel like the only people that are going to be any even remotely good at this are Mike and Mitch, so <laughs> no. thanks for coming, everyone else. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't think anyone at this table uses Twitter. Not anymore. That's I do. Mitch does. Occasionally. I do yeah. sometimes. I retweet yeah. some stuff. Yeah. yeah. I read it. I read it. I don't read it. always tweet stuff, but I read it. Naturally, my instinct was to go straight to Hongi's Twitter to find yeah. some gems that he's he done. He doesn't tweet he, anymore. All he's done is he's done like one tweet in the last year that it wasn't yeah. a retweet. Yeah. Um, so I might be on here. So if you, <laughs> if you say the word gains, we know it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm going to start with a, with a food one. A lot of these aren't food ones. Remember, these are either tweeted by a chef in Sydney or someone in the Sydney food scene. So first one. Red meat primals cooked a homogenous medium rare in a plastic bag. Mm-mm. What a treat. <laughs> Mm-mm. What a treat. Thank you for playing. Next. Uh, that's uh, Pat Norse from uh, Gourmet Traveller. So that's one for one. Um, nurse. 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 I like to imagine it. him as like a Nordic, a, a, a fallen Nordic <laughs> god. Call <laughs> um, Norse and stand in his personal space. He loves yeah. it. <laughs> um, okay, don't call cool. him a god. Um, all right, so uh, here we go. A, a less food one, but it's definitely from a chef. My puppy ate a blue bottle at the beach. Seems fine. Your dog done this, or do I need a vet? <laughs> I don't. I, uh, I don't I guess. Do you want to take a guess? No. no. Uh, you definitely do. Do I? Yeah. My puppy. Who's got, got a, a puppy? Colin uh, Fastnage uh, oh, from the four in hand. Wait, did you read it with all the spelling mistakes included or did you edit it out? <laughs> no, there's actually no spelling mistakes. Oh, although he spelt blue bottle as two words. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. This is a pretty bad segment. It's <laughs> a great segment. Yeah, this is my favorite one. That's what's so good about it. This is my favorite it's only one. It's going to get worse too. I know. Uh, look, looking through the Easter show geotag on Instagram. Hongy. Al- <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Alpacas seem to be the photo of choice for many showgoers. Like that. It's Why a, am, such ama- a fuckwit? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing insight. Um, hey guys, does anyone know of any environmentally friendly hand towel slash hand soap companies for restaurants? Cheers. Cam Fairbairn. <laughs> no. Good, good guess though. Someone from the Ducks? Yep. Yeah. 
Mm. Was it, it Darren? Darren. Yeah, yeah. Darren it has Robinson. to be. It was one of those phony, I want to be environmentalist kind of statements. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and one last one. Shout outs to whoever subscribed me to Men's Health Magazine. That was me. <laughs> 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 and I worked out who it was too. Who was it? Is that the that next was... game we get to get? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was my uh, old flatmate's sister. Amazing. Mick's, Mick's sister. Um, uh, everyone listening at home If you ever want to subscribe Mitch to uh, <laughs> I need a new Mentel subscription actually It's run out <laughs> Just general mailing lists too He yeah. loves it Whatever <laughs> You know you feel good When you get mail in the In the mailbox You know That's not bills <laughs> So uh, The bills newsletter The what? <laughs> <laughs> like Bill Granger's newsletter <laughs> uh, So we were away We took some weeks off uh, Boys what did you guys get up to? Uh, not much. No, no, we went to Byron. Went actually, to Byron. did a little road trip myself and Mitchie and Gemma from Pinbone. Uh, we went up to see Darren Robertson from Three Blue Ducks and check out a few places up there. Mm-hmm. That was kind of good. You know, it was yeah, kind of right. yeah, it was nice. Like the, it was the nice place to be out of Sydney on New Year's. Yeah, week. except we went up and it was like New Year's and it was fall, so it was like just fucking assholes everywhere. But apart from that, it was really nice. We didn't really go into Byron though. We just sort of stayed on the outskirts. We and couldn't get in. Hung out with Daz and Mags. How was their hand towel slash hand soap situation? Uh, Environmentally friendly? Yeah, sure. Daz is like scattered at the moment. Like, Daz can barely walk and talk at the same time, but I don't think he realized that babies cry a lot before he actually had a baby. Darren Robertson and his partner recently had a child. Correct. Yeah. We're not doing babies on the Mitchin, remember? No, no, no. Just, just a little, little bit of talk. Uh, yeah, nobody likes no, baby no talk. One, baby talk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, eat, you can eat pretty well up there. Like, we, we didn't eat terribly. You know, it's not like going to a backwards country, like, you know, a country town that's still serving everything with snow peas and, you know, it's like 10 years behind everything else. Like, yeah, I feel like you got, like, decently. two good days. You yeah. know, you probably got two nights, yeah. maybe two lunches. That's it. Which is good, but... The rest, agree or disagree, Emily? Well, disagree, but maybe only because the contrast to New York is so great that I was in heaven. Is, like, is there a lot of fresh... Uh, as in New York there? shit and Byron was better no, than New York. No, <laughs> Eating outside is amazing, and you can't really do that in New York. And the produce was great. There was a lot of avocado toast, and I was into it. <laughs> a lot of seafood, too. What is it with Australians that move to America is and, not and immediately yeah. like, realize how much they love avocado on toast? Is there it's not like, heaps of avocado toast in New York? Yeah, that was, that was, a kind of, that was an attempt at a joke, guys. It's All my right. first time. All right. <laughs> and avocado toast is like, people don't understand that you can just buy bread and avocado. It's literally the easiest <laughs> cafe thing. And I, I have so many friends that are like, Oh, I'm so hungover. Avocado toast? Where, where can we go? Where can we go to get avocado toast? Well, there's a shocking number of shit avocado toast out there. Yeah. Mm. It's somehow easy to fuck up. And it's also the first thing that people say when they find out I'm Australian in New York. Oh, avocado toast. Really? Yeah. What, is, it, is this like Australia's reluctant new national dish? Yeah, it is. Bento hongi. <laughs> um, Ryan, what makes up a shit avocado toast? Let's really get into it, guys. Our first episode back. People need to know. <laughs> Uh, well, when you bite into it and all of the avo is then on the table. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're saying you prefer a little mush? <laughs> a, little, a little bit of mush. Oh, isn't the official oh, see, term like smash? No, there's got, you got to be like able to see colors. <laughs> no, I like a little bit smashed. See, but I also don't like sourdough because I find that really hard it's to hard eat. It's hard to eat. Like, I got to say, I don't toast. think you like avo toast. No, I do. I do. <laughs> I just prefer it with a better bread and a nice fresh avocado that's soft and doesn't need rubbery kind of mashing up to stay on the bread. What I like to do is get a really firm avocado and smoosh some bread into it. <laughs> I'm Andrew Levins. This is my podcast, The Mitchin. Um, we're going to talk about... <laughs> talk to our my guests. holiday is... <laughs> um, so, Ryan and Aaron, Napa Valley. Uh, I know fuck all about Napa. 
and yet you live there. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> Napa Valley is uh, about an hour and 15 north of San Francisco. It's a, it's a crazy, beautiful valley. It's really long and thin. It's kind of famous for Cabernet, um, big winery. There's lots of money, lots and lots of tourism, um, beautiful nature preserves. Um, but So the food and wine scene there is, 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 is strong. Um, the produce is amazing, though. I, it's insane. I literally tell people I moved to California for the produce. Uh, after cooking in San Francisco and then moving back to Nashville, uh, that's in Tennessee for Australians, uh, that's in the southern United States. Uh, <laughs> uh, I then moved to after two years right back to to the Bay Area for the produce, and in in Napa, it's unbelievable. Like, we have a small sandwich shop, and we have three farmers that will grow specifically for us, and uh, we can go and harvest when we want to. And it's basically like cherry picking the best farmers markets, and we have an eleven month growing season, so it's it's pretty unparalleled. What happens in the other month? I come to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good answer. So, so was that? So, this is like the main reason that you moved to Napa was. Yeah, I always say it's it's got to be difficult to be a bad chef there because David Chang famously said San Francisco food is just figs on a plate, um, and then Alice Waters from Chez Panisse is is basically saying like cooking starts with shopping and sourcing, and she's right. Um, if you start with a shit ingredient, you're going to have a shit plate, and there you, it's very hard to find bad ingredients. So with the, a lot of the small farmers, are they mainly biodynamic, organic, kind of sustainable farms, or is it a bit of a mixture? Because I went to Napa 10 years ago. It was quite a, quite a, a heavy scene for like, you know, like chemical farming, I remember, but I've seen a big change well, in the Napa, demand. So 85% of the United States produce is grown within uh, 150 miles of Napa. Mm-hmm. So you get everything from small biodynamic to modern commercial. Uh, but the beauty of... Napa in particular in that valley is that the general public is really discerning and really picky about what they're willing to eat. Um, They ask in in nearly every restaurant where things come from, you know, are the chickens pasture-raised? Even like uh, for our cookies at our sandwich shop, we spent a summer growing the wheat at UC Davis and figuring out which wheat is going to make the best cookie. And you just don't have that option in a lot of places. And now we have a winery that's going to trial rye in between their grapevines as a cover crop for us and the collaborative relationship between farmers winemakers chefs is uh endearing and it hopefully will make a more delicious place to visit that sounds awesome mm-hmm. why a sandwich shop uh after years in high and fine dining and um i then ran a charcuterie for two years called the fatted calf um all these things, I got to touch really incredible product every day, but they were priced to the point where the general population couldn't experience them, fatty calf excluded. Um, Best and for me, sub. The what? The meatloaf. The meatloaf? Oh, you like that? So good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, I wanted to open a place where everyone could afford to eat that quality of ingredient. So we're using the same baseline as uh, we would at the restaurant at Meadowood or, or even the French Laundry. Uh, but treating it much more simply and serving lunch for, you know, drink side sandwich for 20 bucks. Just looking at your, your, your Instagram and your Facebook feed, it feels like every element of the sandwich is made by, by the kitchen, right? Abs- well, we don't make all the bread because uh, you're either a chef or a baker, and I'm a chef. <laughs> I try to make bread, and it's very, very difficult. Um, 
but we do like we make the ham we make the pastrami we make the pickles the sauces the spreads uh we always have a vegetarian sandwich on the menu and uh that's hugely important again going back to the produce being so good um i think it's like most vegetarian sandwiches at least in the states are avo toast or <laughs> like a grilled portobello with balsamic vinegar and they're never thought about they're always kind of a uh, well, we should have something for the vegetarians. And for us, it's not for the vegetarians. It's for people who want to eat something delicious. Yeah. Um, I know we just said vegetarians, but I want to talk about ham because you talked about right. ham earlier. Yeah. And I saw some amazing photos of, uh, of the hams you, uh, you guys made um, over Christmas. Um, that was an LP's ham. That was like shout out to LP's. And Australia, we did LP's. Oh, my God. Took some time listening to the Mitchin podcast to figure out where we wanted to get our ham for uh, Christmas and... Luke and company knocked it out of the park. Yeah, we, we got I got I got two of those hams for, for this Christmas. It's I'm, we're going there tonight for dinner. <laughs> Hence the uh, full fighting force, as, as mentioned at the beginning of. Uh, I'm not the podcast. sick of that Christmas ham though. I, I still wish we had some left. Like nine kilos wasn't enough. Yeah, and it's so good to um to eat it. I don't know how ham. Obviously, you know you make hams yourself, so you probably don't experience this. But I feel like in the past I've always bought hams for Christmas, and the overwhelming flavor is just salt and. Uh, this, there was just such a great like to have smoke prevail throughout the uh, the meat was was awesome for these LP and hams. pork you can taste the pork yeah, yeah it was a great pork wasn't it yeah it was really well it was just a really good process did you have one as well yeah I, yeah, yeah, I had one did you you got a ham from yeah, LP's? yeah we just finished it up last week <laughs> that's good one very <laughs> in depth journalism there Kev yeah. <laughs> I really think that they took it all away, though. It's not just the product and how it tastes, but also the customer service. I mean, my mum went to pick it up, and she had a bit of a hard time finding the place because she was looking for, I'm not sure, a butcher shop. And, uh, <laughs> but, then, but then she went in and, and uh, met Luke and became best friends with him, apparently. Um, and I got to pick out her ham and... Uh, she's now in love with Luke, so uh, you know. Most, most of us have effect on people. It's a whole, it's a whole experience. It's not just good food. It's and we ordered it from the states and managed to get it taken care of. Yeah. Which I, I have people that can't get it right in the same street in Napa. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, tell us about your your meat making process. I mean, you have uh, the the background at Fatted Calf, but yeah, I would say uh, to echo what I just mentioned about Alice Waters and it starts with sourcing. Um, that's where we began. We, Kevin, my business partner, and I spent uh, eight weeks and traveled 6,300 miles to visit different farms and producers. Uh, and that's essentially going there and back across the United States, so quite a long ways. We visited you know, pig farmers, beef farmers, oysters. Far, uh, we spent time with Anson Mills, which is an heirloom grain uh, purveyor, and they're phenomenal. But we ended up... Uh, that whole mill story, excellent. Yeah. Tell the story. Tell the story. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Cam even. Uh, we, we went to a a mill. <laughs> any, any, anytime, time, anytime Cam talks, he gets so excited that he actually said something. Kind <laughs> of myself. Uh, Cam, maybe you should tell the story. It's a great story. It's a great story. I stop telling me that and tell the story. <laughs> All I remember is that this like farmer. Went and found all these old heirloom varietals, right in the yeah. in the woods and shit. Fuck, this is a great story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but is now doing? They like were forgotten. So they started in 1994. So they've been around for a while. It's just now blowing up. Sean Brock, Dan Barber have been two big proponents of Anson Mills, and uh, like the rice that they use, the Carolina Gold rice has been traced back to 1610. 
Um, the corn, the eight-row corn, which Dan Barber made famous in the first chapter of the third plate, is also from Glenn Roberts and Anson Mills. Um, and he had to go get that from a moonshiner in the forest and then has since regrown it. And so he's basically single-handedly responsible for reigniting the heirloom grain, heirloom cereals uh, movement in the United States. And Kevin and I were lucky enough to go and spend a week on their uh, research farm in Charleston, which is where they are trialing all the new seeds they found to see if they're true heirlooms, see what their uh, phenotypic and genotypic expressions are. Like, it's intense. We got to eat peanuts dug fresh from the ground uh, that only 20 people in the world have tasted because they were thought to be lost. We had rice tasted in the patties, like... Uh, we sound like Portlandia hipsters, but it was like uh, <laughs> like such an incredible experience as a chef to be able to understand ingredients on that level. And then that's essentially what we did with our pork. So we work with Craig and Amy Good. Uh, they're fourth-generation farmers out of Oldsburg, Kansas, who raise only heritage breed hogs and only on pasture. They're slaughtered in the only certified humane slaughterhouse in the United States, which is crazy that there's only one. Um, all of those things go into the into what we make into the ham. Like even the sugar we select is you know organic from the right place. Uh, we do use a lot of dry farming for our vegetables because I keep going back to our cookies. I talked about the wheat and that the thought process behind that kind of explains how we do our hams, how we do our everything. And that's that no ingredient in the process is simply a conduit for other flavors. They all contribute a flavor. Um, and so when we select the wood for the ham that we smoke it with or the salt or the sugar or, you know, whatever spices we want to put in a brine or even like how we score the fat, how long we brine, all those things have been trialed to find the right flavor. So it's essentially turning the food dork up to the absolute highest level. Is there like a signature dish that you could describe to us? Uh, I think I would echo what Mitch has said on previous podcasts that signature dishes kind of pigeonhole you. And I think <laughs> if we sorry. read anything <laughs> in the... Uh, we can't all just make hot dogs, Lebs, all right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I stopped. I haven't made a hot dog in two years. Uh, I think our vegetarian sandwiches are, are what we uh, kind of catch people off guard. We sell a, a shit ton of bacon. Uh, people really like our bacon. Uh, but our vegetarian sandwiches always change. Like, it's in the middle of winter right now. We're doing miso roasted turnips with uh, charred cabbage, um, Brussels sprout slaw, and, like, we blend uh, our homemade kimchi with tofu and olive oil to make, like, a fake mayo, basically. But it's super flavorful, and we crush a bunch of toasted peanuts into the bread, and um, most Ryan, people wouldn't I, order that. I've got a question for you. Do you get... Like, is it a great question? Uh, no, it's not my best. But um, what do you do with gluten-free people? Is that a thing in Napa? Uh, it's is absolutely it is a thing in Napa. So much worse here, though. Oh, my God. Uh, so I've been accosted. Like, we sell at farmer's markets as well. And I've been accosted by people for not having a gluten-free option. Um, we have salads that are really delicious. And they contain no gluten on sides. And uh, we'll slice any of our meats to go on top of those salads. Um, but the long and short of it is the restaurant industry has become overly accommodating. And we're a, a sandwich shop. Preach, bro. Preach. We, <laughs> Preach. We make, we make things with flour. You just made enemies with Mike Eggett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we grow. I mean, if we're making it and it has flour on it, like yeah. it, too many things in our kitchen have flour. So you're going to have to deal with it. The other side of that is Kevin and I are not idiots. We took the time to really learn about gluten what is gluten that's usually my first question to someone who asks 
if everything's gluten free is oh what is gluten and if they can't answer it there's a bigger problem as a foot uh, and that's a big reason we use you know heirloom wheat heirloom wheat that's fermented over two days the gluten structure changes it doesn't affect the cilia the same way as modern wheat but the average gluten-free dieter doesn't know that I really love the fruit cups and salads out there that I've seen in Australia so far this trip that are being advertised as gluten-free. Yeah. We saw gluten-free garlic in Byron, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gluten-free salt. Gluten-free yeah. salt. <laughs> there's lots. It's weird. It's uh, next level. Also, like, there's no such thing as decent gluten-free bread. Oh, that's not true. Exactly. Uh, that's not true. Really? South Dowling, I don't know what yeah, you guys the, have in America. The, the yeah. South, South, South Dowling good. Organic Bakery, their gluten-free bread is fucking really awesome. Nice. Yeah, it's really good. It comes down Touché. to the baker. If your baker can make a really good gluten-free <laughs> bread, then you use it because it's it stands up to, to normal sandwich tests. We so. have a uh, gluten-free bakery in Napa that sells sandwiches and things in... Uh, their, their baker is a, I know her, she's wonderfully talented and super nice. Uh, but even she will admit that the flavor is different. Like you can taste yeah, the different you flavors. You know it's not a, you know, yeah, you know it's gluten exactly. free bread. And yeah. that, that's the, like, it's kind of like I- anyone that diets and they try to replace what they're taking out of their diet with a, a mimic version of it. Like a veggie burger that's made with, you know, textured vegetable protein is not as good as a burger. No. Um, and for us, when the bar is, is it delicious? That's the main deciding factor. But when you're, when you're a sandwich shop and you don't have gluten-free bread because it doesn't stand up, but you're offering salads and things people can eat, you're still accommodating people. Fruit cups. Fruit Abs- cups. Well, you know? the salads are on the menu beforehand, and that was, uh, you, you know, the hardest part of any business is, is working with the people or dealing with the people. Yeah. And we kept getting emails about gluten-free, and finally we just said, you know, this is our option. Yeah. Um, and if you're not excited about a delicious salad, then it's, it's fine. Yeah. And you know, we're happy if you don't eat with us. Uh, like, we don't need you every meal. <laughs> yeah. uh, you woke, like, uh, if I had a specific allergy, I wouldn't go, like, uh, if I couldn't have soy, I'm not going to go eat a lot of Asian foods, yeah. you know? Like, and I just, I don't understand the point of, like, bending over and saying yes to having someone in my restaurant when I can't provide for them the experience that we set out to provide. 100%. Nailed it. Talk about the wine scene in Napa, because, Aaron, that's what brought you. Did, you. did you meet Ryan before you moved to Napa, or did you uh, uh No, I first? met Ryan in Napa uh, while I was actually working at the restaurant at Meadowood. He was a customer, and I was front of house. Was so he asking for gluten-free? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, mate, you have a sandwich shop? Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to make a Vegemite sandwich? <laughs> or avocado toast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said no. Um, so, yeah, I lived in Healdsburg as well for a long time. Um, so that's in Sonoma County, the n- next one over. Yeah, so I, d- I did move to the U.S. for, um, for wine work, um, but did find myself in, in fine dining, um, kind of with a global recession. There were no jobs. Um, so I used... I used that experience and income to start my own project so I've, I've been making wine since 2012 and have just now started selling it um but yeah so i worked at a couple of michelin starred restaurants and um can i can i ask why you went to america to do wine just out of curiosity it's a uh, it's a different sort of choice yeah um so w- i was working in mclarenvale mm-hmm. and the season ended and i was like okay 
and then I just went, yeah, got a job in the US. So, okay. so I think originally I just planned to do some some um, hemisphere swapping, and I yep. was stu- I studied at Charles Sturt by yep. distance education, so like I could I could do all my exams overseas. Right. So it was really flexible, and I like to travel. So that was the idea from the right. outset, and um, then I kind of got got uh, I fell in love with the area. It's really nice, yep. um, but. And yeah, I really enjoyed working in front of House Fine Dining as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's really awesome to celebrate with people um, every night. But yeah, it's really nice to be back in wine production 100%. So what though. fine dining restaurants did you land in? Uh, I was in Cyrus at Heel- in Healdsburg nice. for um, a year before they closed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great people. And then I worked at the restaurant for two and a half years before leaving just recently. And the restaurant at Meadowood is called The Restaurant, restaurant. for those that... Oh, right, cool. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Shout out to the everyman. <laughs> everyman had no idea what we were talking about. I was like, she said, The Restaurant. I'm like, she sure did. <laughs> it sure was one. <laughs> um, so describe, uh, I guess, your smaller role in the bigger wine scene in Napa. Uh, okay, so Napa Valley is full of like much larger... Um, Produces very high quality um, Cabernet based, so yeah, Bordeaux varietals for sure. Um, it's a really diverse region, but the price points are a lot higher. So you're talking like Colt Napa Cabs, um, Rain, $800 a bottle on release kind of deal. Um, everybody's like Celador experiences are just luxury. Luxury, yeah, it's a, it's a luxury sort of tourist area. Um, I, I, I'm on the fringe uh, with, there's like, you know, there's a, a new California sort of coming up with younger people who work under, like maybe they work by day at another winery, similar to what's happening here really. Um, they're resurrecting older varietals that used to exist in the area. Anything but Cabernet, sort of like there's the 7% solution. Um, so lots of alternate varietals and just uh, lower alcohol as well. So there's a big, big move towards... Um, organic, um, unfiltered, uh, younger producers doing things that don't necessarily subscribe to, um, I guess, the commercial masses. But So that's where Aaron, I find myself. I've got a question for the everyman. What's the 7% solution? Oh. Is it the 7% document? solution represents... Uh, so it's like 80... What, what is I don't know, I can't do the math. 93? 93. 93. 93% of the varietals um, that go into wine are like Cabernet, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. Classics, everybody knows them. And then there's 7% which make up everything else. So that's where I am with Semillon. Great question, uh, great answer. Thank you, every cam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I make a, I make, I make a semion, but I'm, you know, making it in a style similar to what I grew up with here in mm-hmm. Sydney. Um, so, picked early, uh, bottled uh, young, mm-hmm. and then uh, released with bottle age. Nice. So um, it's delicious. Natural, natural process, low sulfur. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really do much in the winery at all. Um, I do filter at the end uh, because it doesn't finish malo. So, yeah. um, malo lactic fermentation, Cam. Malo lactic fermentation. You've been learning about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, who's doing your grapes? Are you are you running a vineyard, or are you just buying no, in? No, no. I just buy grapes um, from a vineyard in Lake County. So that's yeah. I'm even further on the fringe of Napa 
um, Lake County is the next one north mm-hmm. and it's higher altitude sort of um, it's much more affordable for, for people like me getting started and also delicious like the weather up there is really great um, there's beautiful cabernets coming out of there the Sauvignon Blanc is delicious I think the Semillon is really good it's all volcanic soil nice. um, and yeah I'm really excited about that area I don't want to live there there's like and you're starting to see more Lake County on labels finally right. yeah Rather than just it saying Napa. Well, yeah, there's laws in place for sure, but I think uh, people are starting to just be proud of the place instead of kind of just saying this is Simeon. They're saying this is Lake County Simeon. Yeah. Aaron even lists the uh, the vineyard. Yeah, yeah. So the that's family, a, the Lusingers. They they've been growing up there for maybe thirty or forty years. Mm-hmm. So um, oh, they're just really nice people to work with, and that's really important for me. Um, but so, yeah, the, I think that it's a really exciting time to be making wine in California, similar to how oh it's so exciting to be in Australia right now with all the small producers coming up. Like when I left here in production like many years ago, there was like a trickle coming out, but now it's just booming and it's, yeah, really similar sort of parallels can be drawn. Cool. Um, and for those listening, where can we find your wine if we wish to buy a bottle? In California. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, what, what's the website for California? <laughs> www.california.com. Uh, actually, you can, uh, you'll be able to get some in London soon too. So Great. Even further. <laughs> <laughs> who's through in London? Through Tuto? Or? Pardon? Who, who's going to bring it into London? Uh, a group called Indigo. Indigo. And I think there's some at Cam's house, if anybody really yeah, wants to. Yeah, there's some at Cam's house. Had a uh, Cam Evan, what's your address again? I've had a bottle with Cam. He brought it to Pinburn. Yeah. It was delicious. Yeah. It was really good. That was a year ago, maybe more. So maybe one of your first. Yeah, first that's, the, that's the only one I've released, actually. And it's just sold out um, from the winery. Uh, still a little bit in dis- distribution. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later... Later in the spring, so in like March this year, I'll release my 2013. But mm-hmm. yeah. And is the goal for the future to have your own vineyard, and or is it? Baby I think steps? it's prohibitively expensive to own land in California. Same, same in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's like a real pipe dream. I think um, it seems to be one of the things that really holds back young winemakers because yeah. they can't get and their hands chefs. on the vineyard and, and yeah. really control oh. it. Also, kind of feel that like the growers live there and they've been doing it for much longer it's than I have. Yeah, and the, the, you can only do so much in a day. And there's, I think you have to have a certain amount of trust mm. with the people who are growing um, the fruit, just that that they know what's good for their land as well. Yeah, I, I guess. But if we took that logic into Australia, then everyone would still be spraying and mm. you know watering and doing all sorts of things that we'd love to see change it's where you yeah. really st- I, I mean you know better than I do but you know it starts with the fruit it's just like ingredients for a kitchen yeah, sure. so anytime you really let those grapes become expressive and really show their terroir through yeah. adversity and you know then we'll start to really see some different wines but it's no way they're not I mean, there's, there's more and more organic wines showing up in Napa and I use that term loosely because I don't know what any of those things mean anymore mm. uh, but a lot more like letting the grapes and the weather dictate the process. I mean, you can drive through the valley and you can see who's using chemicals by what, how the land around the grapes is growing. Yeah. And it, it's really evident, but it's definitely changing. Uh, the community that Aaron's uh, part of, the wine community, is a, a phenomenally creative and interesting group of people. And the wines that they're making are fun, uh, 
I find them to be really accessible in that they're part of that 7%, which is really appealing. Like, this is a grape I've never heard of, but I, I'm like, they make it interesting for a, a novice because I know nothing really. Uh, they make me interested in trying it, and they're continually getting better. And one thing that I would, I would say with New California, as Aaron put it, is the, uh, the wines are becoming much more food friendly and much more. Yeah, that's day-to-day. super important. Yeah. Um, so, Aaron and Emily, you both have uh, made your triumphant return to Australia in the last few weeks after being away for how long? Uh, it's been two years since I was in Sydney. And you have been here for about a year. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been here. Yeah, this time last year. Um, what are the? What were the? I'm guessing, Ryan, this is your first. It's first been 31 years since I was here. All <laughs> oh, right, but, yeah, amazing. So I, I want to know what, what what are the things that you couldn't wait to come back to when you returned to Sydney? Whether it were the restaurants that you missed or things that weren't being catered to when you were uh, living in the states. I think I got a flat white pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a total cliche. I was really, really looking we forward to We talked about avocado toast for five straight minutes. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, the, like, to have some fresh prawns, that was, that was high on the list. Awesome. Um, but we arrived like, right before Christmas. So all of the restaurants that I've like, banked up wanting to go and see in Sydney have been closed up until like, now. Um, Classic Sydney. Which is no, it's, it's actually great. really refreshing. Like yeah. I'm super excited that everybody got gets to take a break, and it, you know we we ended up barbecuing a lot, going to the fish markets a lot, whatever. I mean, all the new seafood for me has been so much fun. Basically, go to the fish markets, find the thing I've never seen before, go home and cook that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what things haven't you seen before? Uh, we did garfish last night. Uh-huh. I never had that before. Um, the kingfish looks a little different here. I got Australian lamb. Not at the fish market, obviously, <laughs> but uh, I'd never, like, to, to get your hands on it this close to the, the origin is nice. We did a whole lamb leg uh, a couple nights back. You missed that, Cam. Uh, yeah. yeah, Cam was supposed to show up, but he got to his flight wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been, uh, vegetables have been hard to find, but uh, <laughs> yeah. shellfish we, is incredible. We got shit vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Mike, you actually brought up something interesting that kind of relates to that um, in that uh, earlier we were talking about Noma. Um, of course, they're about to start their massive pop-up that no one can go Has to. anyone got a ticket to it? Mm. Mike? Who can afford I a ticket? I just gave some back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I had a friend offer me, but I couldn't go. I've got to go overseas. Um, Mike mentioned that they're obviously here doing um, tests in the kitchen now for, for their menu, which means that the, the Sydney suppliers have a lot of things on offer that you weren't able to get before. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the Sydney suppliers, but it is really funny to see Australia-wide these uh, producers or providers sort of jump to it because Noma's here. So all these products that we've asked for or been trying to find or no one's bothered to put any effort into, now that like Noma's here, they've opened up the, the avenues to these products, which is great. And so we'll get some of the scraps and then hopefully the industry will stay once Noma leaves. So like for instance, the first time I've ever seen it is hermit crabs. So hermit crabs came to a menu and I've asked for hermit crabs for years and just falls on dead ears. When you just go to Pets Paradise. Uh, too expensive. <laughs> dollar, dollar fifty a pet. <laughs> Can't really turn a buck on that. Uh, other things like the magpie geese, it's great that we got to use those for the LPs dinner. Um, but that's a product that we've all been looking for, wondering why we can't get, you know, native game. And then all of a sudden, Noma's here. And so, you know, I think it's one of the positives of Noma coming is that they've The trickle down is going to be super important. Yeah, I think so. You know what I mean? Like, there'll be, you know, haters, negative stuff of course but for instance some of the produce like Mr. Wong's already got some of the hermit crabs you know what I mean Hongi was cooking them the other day and so 
you know, it's great to see some of those the things that we've all maybe wanted but haven't had the, obviously, the pool, the power or the, you know. What, what would you do with a hermit crab that you couldn't do with another crab? Never never tried it, so right. I, I wouldn't know. But, but it hung you to salt and pepper? Uh, no, I think you just grilled it and tasted it. I mean, it's like anything. When you get a new product, you just you start with the basics. You eat it. You go, this is good or bad. And then you explore from yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and Next I think, time, I'll take the shell off. You know, <laughs> and it could be, could be really shit. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and all the things we've asked for for years could be really shit. But the problem that you have as a chef in Sydney is you don't want to just work with lamb, beef, yeah. pork. You know, you want to find, you know, and you, I, I don't want like European poultry. Like it doesn't mm. taste like anything. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to pay $18 for a squab in Sydney when it has no flavor. And I go to, to Europe and I eat squab in America and I eat squab and it tastes phenomenal. And here it's just a dark colored piece of chicken, you know? <laughs> It doesn't have any flavor. You're not paying $18 for a little bird. You know, I can't sell that in a restaurant for $40, $50, People do, but there's, there's no point in doing it. It doesn't have any flavor. And so I think, you know, people like Mitch, myself, other guys, we've been asking these questions, but when you're a little 30-seat restaurant, 40-seat restaurant, no media, you don't get the answers you're looking for. It's so. kind of depressing that we don't get that support, though, and it takes... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. No, yeah. they're coming to everyone and go, oh, fucking, oh, look at all this shit we can get. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it both ways. Like, you can... I got angry at first. And I was like, motherfuckers, you know what I mean? But I think it's great. The trickle-down is going to be If great. they'd never shown up, well, you'd still be fighting that battle, you know? So there's... Yes. Yeah. I'm, as I said, it'll depend on what happens when they leave. If the market yeah, yeah, just yeah. shuts down after, then it's going to be a massive... I don't, th- I don't think it will. Oh, no, I, I think not. we can only go forward. I think it... Yeah. I, and, I hope. So you know, I'm really happy they did it. It's really great. Um, Emma, I know you were excited to try and go to the Noma pop-up while you were here, but then you moved your dates to come here this time instead. So yeah. what, what have you uh, been excited to eat since you've been here? Well, I arrived on Christmas Day, so actually the very first thing I ate was a slice of LP's ham. So it all went down from there. <laughs> <laughs> started off pretty well, um, but in the few weeks leading up to arriving, I kind of made a list on my phone, and shamefully I've only knocked off about six restaurants um but there's a pretty long list predominantly asian food i think in new york we really suffer um 
it's kind of embarrassing going to all the Asian fusion restaurants there. We're just so spoiled <laughs> in Sydney with Thai food, <laughs> Vietnamese food. Oh, man. We yeah. Chinese We've eaten food. a lot of like, Asian yeah. food, yeah. Yeah, even Chinese food, like Golden Century the other night. It's just, that needs to be in New York. American we, Chinese is not Chinese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, have, we have friends that come, to, to come from America and they eat it at Golden Century like every night they're here. We have, we have a friend that's here right now that he's eaten at Golden Century, what, like 10 times since Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Always after midnight, I'm sure. Yeah, it's yeah. the best time to go. <laughs> Cam recommended Chat Thai to us and that was a phenomenal lunch. Yeah. yeah. And oh my then, gosh. Uh, what? Oh, yeah, it was so. It was so good. It was, yeah, we're it was spoiled. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Like, because you go over, you go to America, or you go to Europe, and people are like, oh, you should go check out this Thai restaurant or this Vietnamese. You're like, you guys have no yeah. fucking idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're so spoiled in Sydney for it. Like, it it's was ridiculous. Been, my, I mean, with all basically all the restaurants on our list being closed, it's been Asian. Every time we've gone out, basically. Yeah, so you're yeah. going to do like a Malaysian prawn roll or something when you get back? Uh, we ate at the Malaya, uh, which is this giant restaurant out on Darling Harbor. And it was phenomenal. Like, the flavors were really, really good. And uh, having, yeah, like, wanting to do... So they do a peanut sauce there where they actually roast them in the in the hole and then crush the peanuts. Yeah. And the flavor is totally different. The texture is totally different. And it was... Uh, yeah, I took a lot away from that meal. That's pretty funny because that's somewhere where we would never go. No. Because we would never go to Darling Harbour for a meal, no matter I mean, how dire the situation was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the fact that you could go there and get something well, out of it. Coming in blind is, uh, yeah. is hugely important. Like, yeah. I had no biases, uh, and it was like a shockingly good meal. I guess shocking. every meal has been shocking to me because I don't know what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Good uh, shocking, but, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the... the Acme will like ruin that prawn. Prawn. <laughs> <laughs> Like every prawn there Was cooked perfectly yeah. And when you're doing 600 covers a day That's insanely hard to do yeah. uh, And they It was It was spot on um, But To be 100% honest We were dining With the owners So that right, You know right, that right, right. Things are going to show up well Yeah um, should, They should <laughs> Man, Things should show up so. well If you Pete Wells <laughs> Doesn't always go that uh, way But we ate yeah, um, right. At Pope Joan in Melbourne. Yeah, nice. I had a really Pope nice Jones meal there. Yeah. Uh, have you been very disappointed with Australia's uh, sandwich game? Yeah. It's pretty poor, huh? Have I had a sandwich? Yeah. Pope Joan sandwiches. Pope Joan sandwiches were good, or hams and bacon, I guess. We had uh, those gourmet sandwiches in the Blue Mountains. They were pretty Blue bad. Blue Mountains, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Should have gone, gone, gone to the cult. Should have gone to the cult. The cult. The, yeah, that's the spot. There's like a cult um, sandwich maker in, uh, in Katoomba, and they're, they're, they're run by like a religious cult. Um, and the, they make their own bread. Is and it the bread Gloria is Jeans? Out of control. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's different. Uh, okay. yeah. No, Katoomba's all about hominy bakery. That meat pie. Best it's in not Australia. run by a cult. I don't care. When <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Blue Parker's Mountains. Parker's pies in Rutherglen. Re- that's the best pie in Australia. Parker's. Parker's in oh. the Rutherglen. They also have a poster up, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we, yeah we had really good uh, pie at uh, Black Star Bakery. Black Star Pastry, whatever it's called. Yeah, the lamb shank one. Was it? Uh, we actually had a sausage roll there, not a pie. Yeah. Uh, it was delicious. And a black sesame cake. Was that your first ever sausage roll? Uh, we had one on the road. when We drove. We basically drove from Sydney to Melbourne out to Port Ferry and back. And so I had one in Rutherglen. That was, that was delicious. Um, so when you do the Sydney to Melbourne, there's a little town called Seymour. And if you pull off, there's like a like a bikey bar. It's this old three-story sandstone pub. Huge car park, just always full of Harley Davidsons and bikies. But in amongst all the bikes, is this really weird little galvanized shed. Just does burgers, and it does one of the best Aussie burgers you'll ever eat. Noted. It's yeah. so good. Anyone doing the Sydney Melbourne, you've got to go through Seymour. Can you all explain to me the burger and fried chicken phenomenon in Sydney? 
Oh, uh, burgers. It's is your like, fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Burgers or, is, or you're welcome. The, the burgers know. is the American style burger, but I'm talking about like classic Australian burger. Yeah, have, beetroot, you, had, beetroot, had, have you had a burger with beetroot and pineapple in it? Uh, in, Egg, you know, bacon. we did uh, our Independence Day barbecue at my house, and Aaron contributed beetroot to the burger. And it was uh, phenomenal. It kind of shocked me how good it was. Grilled pineapple next time as Except well. And, a, and an egg. Ooh, and an egg and bacon. But in America, you have to say beets. Or no yeah, yeah. I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it showed up and it was delicious. Yeah, um, yeah I converted a couple of people that day. I, I did a, a barbecue at a music festival in uh, LA and New York when I was last in the States. And um, I cooked um, hot dogs with, uh, with a beetroot relish. And people were like, like what is this? Why is it purple? Blah, blah, blah. And kind of, yeah, it was the best. I love how like, people are so adverse to eating beetroot in the States. No, you got to have a beet and goat cheese salad. Then you'll, <laughs> you'll be just fine. Me and Mitchie did the drive up to Byron with the intention of stopping at every single road sign that said world's best. So like world's <laughs> best pie, world's best scone, whatever. There wasn't any. Not one. Because they've taken the road now. I it's know, yeah, yeah. No, it used to be the, the most boring you drive can, you in You can the world. do that drive though. You just have to, it, it takes about half an hour longer. Yeah. Um, and you just do the, do the back It's more roads. like four hours Four hours longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so boring. Like I remember when a kid used to drive to Queensland or whatever and there was always like every second town had yeah. world's best pie. And so we had the intention of stopping and eating a shit pie at every stop. And not one, not one sign. No. There's one great spot um, on the on the drive from from Sydney to Byron where they do like 72 different pies, and you can get like a crocodile pie. Yeah, they got yeah, the. Is that, where, yeah, is that where we went for your bucks near there? No, nah, no, we no. need that. That, 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 that's that's, way, a, way that's not that far up, is it? Is uh, like I know it's, it's got like a Marilyn Monroe statue out the front. We didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. it's coastal. Yeah, yeah, is it right? Like, that, that was the last time I drove back from Byron. We stopped there, and yeah, I, they I, I, I ate all my way now. through like so many different weird things. Like you know, I, I've eaten. Of all like the weird animals I've eaten, at least three of them I've only eaten in pie form. Was there, was there a hermit crab pie? No. <laughs> well, as soon as Noma start yeah. doing pies on the way yeah. from Byron, imagine if that if they if that was like their pop up a, a pie store on the on the drive from Sydney to Byron. <laughs> Still five hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Sold out. <laughs> um, so uh, let's talk. We, we brought it up very very briefly earlier, but. Um, this morning or yesterday, a review got released of uh, a re-review of uh, of a kitchen. Did you say you used to work at it per se? I staged there. You staged there, right? Cool. Was um, staging when, when every man? St- when did you stage there? Two thousand seven. Right. So, so right in the prime. Yeah, it was. So yeah, a lot of super like Matt Orlando was the C. Uh, or Jonathan Benno was the CDC. Right. Matt Orlando was the chef de cuisine. Yeah. The chef de cuisine that I worked for, or the not chef de cuisine, the sous chef I worked for at Metawood was on snacks. At, at per se, same. then, like looking back at who was in there, exactly. it was Julia Sullivan who helped open Pinewood Social in Nashville. Like it was stacked with talent. Yeah. So it's in the New York Times. Um, who did the review again? It's Pete Wells. Pete Wells. Wells. And, He's a great uh, reviewer, just quietly. Well, and so what? Basically, what it does is he, it, it you know per se has always been one of the big big four starred restaurants in New York, and uh, he 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 takes takes away two stars and. Um, you think it's going to be a really, really bitter, mean review, but it, like you, it's one of those things where it, it doesn't feel like he's just taking shots for the sake of sh- taking shots. He's equally was, negative as he is positive in the review. Yeah. When there's something to say positive, he throws it in there, and he yeah. critiques both the food and the service, and then the owners and their whole philosophy. So he, he's it's comprehensive. But he's really, he's really sad about it too. Like he's <laughs> writing it with a sense of regret and, and he, disappointment. You don't want to see one of the great restaurants fall. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. but you want to see them judged fairly. And Absolutely. I think four, four 
dining experiences, which he had in this review, across multiple seasons, because he talks about lobsters being in and out of seasons on the different dining experiences. So he went four times. He had four pretty ordinary experiences across different seasons. Like, that is a review that you can cop. Like, you fucked up. Like, someone's going to be looking for a job. Probably the head chef. A few people. You know, probably the head restaurant manager. But if it was one dining experience and you went in and, and wrote those things you'd be like you'd, you'd, you'd be like oh we had an off night but four experiences across different seasons you've got to cop that it gives a, a lot of value to the review if it, you're going yeah. in multiple yeah. multiple yeah. times yeah who at this table has eaten there I don't remember yeah. you, right? I have not eaten there <laughs> I have not I have just uh, eaten yeah, what right. I had in the back you know? yeah family meal was legit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done yeah. that and French laundry. I thought French was better, but um, the view—the view is amazing. Oh, it's, yeah, because yeah, M, you live in New York and have done for almost is it three years this year? Yeah, three yeah. years in Feb. Uh, how achievable is it for someone that works in the food industry, just at, like you know, on the floor at a, at, a, at a restaurant and bar, to actually eat at these, you know, three thousand dollars for four people? The bill was, he said. Yeah, and he, sorry. I mean, financially, I guess it, it depends very much on where you're working. I think um, as people have brought light to uh, wages are so all over the place because of the tipping culture in America. Um, But I feel like there are a lot of people in the industry who just prioritize that and they will save up and make it happen because, and that's great because you do want people working in the industry to be excited and to make that their priority. But yeah, I think typically speaking, it's rare that you can afford it, especially to go to multiple restaurants. I think it's more... Um, it's once or twice a year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's a big treat. But it's a massive treat because yeah. you're talking about a $325 set menu, which is no drinks, and then the additionals, what was 170 for... No, 140 for the risotto with truffle. No, 175 for, for risotto with white truffle. Unbelievable. And then it was yeah. $70 just for the... For Caviar. Caviar and $40 for the foie gras. 40 bucks for the foie gras. And if you're going to go, you want those dishes because you want at least one. So I don't want to open up a can of worms, but what are those line cooks being paid? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Probably nothing. Yeah, nothing. It's to open the can because, you know, it's all relative. You know, yeah, like if it you're going to take... 12 bucks an hour in 2007. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's just gone up and now it's 14 is minimum. <laughs> Still. Yeah. You're doing 14 hour days minimum, yeah. you know, yeah. for 14 yeah. bucks an Not hour. Not taking a share of tips either in the kitchen. Two hours of the time. commute because you can't afford to live anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco is going the same way right now, and I'm sure Sydney's not dissimilar. Not far behind. Though. Yeah, and there's not many bottles of wine on that list under 100 bucks. And if they are, they're half bottles. So it just looks <laughs> like they're cheaper, but they're not. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking at a $500 a head meal. Probably American, Minimum. not Australian. Minimum. And when you're working in the industry, you don't go and kind of not do the wine pairing. You yeah, want to yeah. do all the additions and you want to tip well. And yeah, it's yeah. definitely being, a luxury. But those, those are important experiences, though, for young cooks, for service. The, yeah, going exactly. back to the Noma trickle-down, like, I just ate at Noma in Copenhagen in November. And just seeing the, like, how well they're executing the kitchen and front of house overlap. It was unbelievable, and seeing like their influence firsthand. I was lucky enough to spend a few days with the with the crew there, and like head out into the woods and spend some time in the kitchen. And it's uh, people getting the opportunity to eat it per se, or the laundry, or the restaurant, or things like that, uh, or Tetsuya uh, ten years ago. You know, like those are important moments for people. And so it, it might be expensive, but it's it's essentially professional development. Yeah, it's very formative when you're young, a young person in the industry. Which is why having someone like Pete call them out yeah. when they're not doing their job properly so important because if you've saved up 
for 12 months and that's your big ticket restaurant and you go to Passe and you get that experience which from reading the review is terrible mm, like sad. it's fucking terrible it's sad but it's terrible like you need people out there policing it it's, it's I thought it was really good to see yeah. Pete have the balls to, to say it it was yeah to stand up to it and give an honest opinion yeah. I, I'm ignorant to his writing though is this something that he does regularly has he done like a you know visiting a he's, place four seasons he, he, he will usually visit a place three times before yeah. he writes about it yeah and his writing's good He's oh, not like, like oh, if if he reviews people I know or a restaurant I'm familiar with, I'll read it. Yeah. I don't read his every review. Like he's not a gunslinger. He doesn't just go around just taking pot shots for fun of it. But he calls he calls things out, and he's really love. I think he's a great reviewer. You know, I think he's a good starting point in his review of Guy Fieri's restaurant. Oh yeah, I've read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's refreshing to see that people can actually be critical. Like in Australia, we can't do that. We've had Miffy Rigby on here before talking about how you know lawsuits and sort of those sorts of things change Sydney landscaping for reviewing but to see this honest and open review was so nice and it, it'd be really lovely to have that in Australia you know I'd, I'd cop bad review if someone came four times and wrote it like that yeah. yeah what's the opinion in New York of Pete Wells in the industry and do you, do you notice anything about it um no. <laughs> Great, thanks, Em. Good chat. <laughs> thanks for making the trip. Runs in the, runs in the family. Is that New York correspondent. <laughs> nah, so Em, you've been in, in New York um, these last few months. You've been working on um, some bigger scale food events. Yeah. Um, can you just uh, run us through some of those and some of the highlights? Shout outs, shout outs to Su Chan. Always shout, shout outs to Su Chan. Who is Su um, Chan? Su Chan was Dave Chang's sort of right hand woman. Um, pretty responsible for his marketing, and I think quite responsible for how big Momofuku has become. If you watch any of the early Momofuku videos, anything featuring Dave, Sue's always Sue's in Sue's there, she's in, in the Chef's Night Out. Yep. She's got a few of her own little videos on Vice, Munchies yeah. now. Just an all-round legend. She's um, really down-to-earth, really friendly, really funny, really yeah. passionate. She was the brand director yeah. at Momofuku and has recently left to forge out her own agency. Um, and she's doing an amazing job um, pairing really talented chefs um, with a really great idea to put on these events that are one of a kind and I think she's going to be doing some really great things in the coming year um, one nice story though uh, recently I had the opportunity to work um, on the MAD Symposium fundraiser dinner last year um, so for the everyday man <laughs> that's me <laughs> uh, MAD is a charity started by Noma um, and they're trying to raise the standard of food it across the world, not just in the high-end restaurants that we've been talking about. Um, so the fundraiser in New York in September was incredible and had a lineup of many chefs that we've talked about today, including Dan Barber. Um, I was out the front at the end of the event and I noticed a little collection of um, guys kind of look, trying to peer in the window where the event was and they noticed that I was coming out of it and they said to me, is that Renee Redzepi? And I said, yes. Is that Dan Barber? Yes. Is that Daniel Balloon? Yes. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out that they were all chefs from Batard, which is a great restaurant in Tribeca. Um, and it was awesome to see that despite what we're talking about, these chefs may not have had the opportunity to eat at Dan Barber's restaurants or Noma. Um, but there was such an air of excitement in the, like that they could see these chefs collaborating on something. Um, they sort of asked me to talk them through the menu of the night which I told them about and then they said how was it and I had to be the loser that said I didn't eat a thing <laughs> <laughs> the reality of working on these big events but it, it, no, you, there's definitely a lot of excitement in New York 
surrounding these restaurants and surrounding, you know, um, the culture of eating out, even if people work. Well, I think it's the collective change. That was the thing I took away the most from Copenhagen was everyone was interested in being better. It wasn't about competition anymore. It's about what can we do to improve the food world and how can we do that together? Do you feel like that exists in Sydney? It's massive in Sydney. It's really, really big. It's really like the community in Sydney is like pretty special, I think, like especially amongst our generation. Like stuff that we can do, stuff like this, and sit down and talk about and big up each other and stuff like that in generations past hasn't existed. And I don't think it exists much overseas. Like certainly at that higher level with Renee and guys like that who all, you know, go and cook at Raw and do all these things together for often a little bit for the media and that kind of thing but they do build a network out of it but that's really come from a grassroots level here and it hasn't been promoted and it hasn't been caused by media and stuff like that it's been us being friends and working together and having the same career paths and struggles through our careers and now we're all in the same place so we're really supportive of each other and I think that's why the industry is so strong I think that's just burgeoning in in San Francisco. Uh, There's kind of been this consistent battle of where you came from. Like if you're from the Chez Panisse or you're from the Laundry or you're from Manresa. And those those kind of families stick together. together. And then we're starting to see a change, I guess, again in our generation. Um, uh, Specifically, uh, in my experiences, Christopher at at the restaurant in Meadowood, he's been uh, a lot more active in kind of supporting his legacy like the people who spend time in his kitchen he's you know sitting down and you know going over the paperwork for our build out and like our concept and you know he's a three-star chef like he doesn't have to take a time off when he's opening a second restaurant to come and help some dude open a sandwich shop but he's interested in seeing the industry get better and i think that that i don't know that that came from noma i think a lot of it can come you know from being a good human being in general in Sydney and wherever but uh, I think that one cultural change is, might be the most significant part more than vegetables more than food more than wine but the uh, the conviction to work together instead of against each other do you do you think that that mentality would change like that whole like fanning out kind of stuff that M was saying with those guys like losing their shit about these icons of the industry uh, I think you always have your icons yeah, and you're you know, always going to have the big it's, it's, I think that's important because you know when I was in a kid in Tennessee cooking and going to school uh, I had no idea what fine dining was and a pastry chef I worked for gave me the French Laundry cookbook um, and at that point I was like okay this, this level exists like wh- how can I get there how can I get there like I want to meet Thomas Keller I want to work for him whatever I read the cookbook overnight. I dropped out of school a week later, and then I moved to California. And if those idols, for lack of a better word, don't exist, like you don't have, you have to have something to shoot for. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Like I was the same when I was started cooking in a pub in Western Sydney. I had no idea that, you know, I had no idea about the world of fine dining. And I thought everyone that worked in those restaurants must be some super talented, you know, just weapon of a and chef. You learn that they can just cook. Yeah, and <laughs> then you it. learn. Oh wait there's plenty of donkeys working in those restaurants <laughs> i can be one of those donkeys you know so it's important to have that you know we need the mike eggets of the world you know what i mean <laughs> it's, it's it's funny too like it's changed a little bit because like 10 15 years ago there were the icons that were like like you just fanboyed over and they were all in their kitchens working now there's more media focus there's more people to fantasize about but they're not actually in the kitchen so it'll be interesting to see like 
you know, I still remember going oh, five, six years ago, going to like Blue Hill. And Dan was in the kitchen, just slaving away. And when we made a little joke to the, the waiter about how if there were more courses, we would have more, Dan came to the table and was like, if you guys want an extended menu, I will Let's just cook it. it for you. And he single-handedly just sat there the whole like day and cooked us extra courses. We ended up having an eight-hour lunch. And Dan just like went all out. This is a Stone Barns or in the city? Stone, Stone Barns. Yeah. Yeah, Limbo, Limbo and I did the same thing and had like a six-hour dinner. And then the chef's drove us back to the city because yeah. there was no trains or taxis anymore yeah so it's like it's those sorts of things that make a really big difference but now like if you're a fanboy of david chang you won't find him in any restaurants right you know so it's a bit different like thomas kelly used to be at laundry all the time you know and now he's probably never there I think he's at Bouchon eating dinner. I'm just saying, when you were a 17 year old and you turned up to a kitchen and you saw your idol in there doing their role, you know, that was the big thing. That's what kept you there. You know, 10, 15 years ago, these alternate opportunities didn't exist. These collaborative dinners that Emily's putting on with Su Chen, like those those weren't a thing. No, of course not. And the other thing, too, like uh, as far as like the camaraderie across the, the kitchens go, that I think, too, like there's been a lot more like moving between restaurants like it used to be if you were a Keller boy you did 10 years with Keller and then you moved on if you were you know whoever the restaurant if you were Tetsuya boy you went to Tets you did 10 years you came out so you were really like ingrained yeah ingrained conditioned to be one way now you do year and a half two years pop around Mm. so you but the downside of that is that People are working two years and saying, I'm going to be a chef and opening up a shit restaurant. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't just do two years. It's I sous vide everything. Months. It's three months. Oh, three months? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's three months. <laughs> but if you do... You, if you uh, do you, I got yelled at yesterday. I'm, I quit. I'm going to go walk into another job tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, not talk, let's not talk about that. <laughs> I do actually... I do you shouldn't have, have said that, Cam. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do have a question. I have a question from the... like uh, I got an email about this. Uh, it was an apprentice and he wants to know... He's doing his job at the moment, right? And he's hard worker and he's happy just to do what he wants but he got he's kind of getting sick of hearing when he asks the question like why do we do this that the answer is always because that's the way we do it and for me that's a shit answer absolutely you know what I mean and I understand there's a time and a place and sometimes you know if you've been told something two or three times you can snap back and just be like get your shit done but I think if you're in like if you're training a young student you've got to give them the knowledge and you've got to give them the depth of answer. So I just want to know what everyone's... When is it okay to say, just shut the fuck up and get your shit done? And when isn't it? Like, when do you... In the middle of go- service, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I had a really, really good mentor chef. Uh, Isaac Miller, he has a restaurant called Maven in San Francisco now. He came up through the Man Race Alliance and was just a super creative. And he basically, on your first day, like your interview, the first two questions he asks you is, you know, what chef do you love and what chef do you hate? Like, what are you inspired by and what are you repulsed by? And um, when he started teaching, he said, I will show you things three times. And I expect you to know them after that. And that's the baseline. Um, but if you want me to teach you, it's your responsibility to ask good questions. Uh, and he laid it out that way. And the guy was so inspiring. I and, like that a lot. Uh, really like that. So, so good at, at teaching. Like... Uh, with all the restaurants I did work in that were that have acclaim and you know ratings and all that, like Isaac was down to earth, humble but willing to teach, willing to show you. When, and he taught me fish butchery. I remember he made me taste every single fish I broke down raw as I was breaking it down, so that I better understood the texture, the oil content when it came to cooking it or curing it. Uh, I mentioned uh, foraging when Noma had first started that as a young cook. I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. 
And the guy looked up different public spaces where we could go and find vegetables. And he was willing to invest in you as long as you were willing to invest in becoming better. And I think that the converse to that was at per se where you it was a silent kitchen which is i'm pr- pretty okay with most of those to be perfectly honest i'm heaps um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh there it was like you were expected to know these things and if you don't you're out and like i saw someone get fired because they pronounced the cheese incorrectly <laughs> and yeah it's there's definitely a time and a place and a way to do it right mm. i think as long as you get the explanation sometime during the day like I can understand sometimes yeah, yeah. it's like just shut up and move on but I think like I had teachers that were a bit like that but they come back at the end yeah. of the day yeah, and give you the explanation like you might not get it when you want it but you've got to get oh, the we had the like the Harold McGee on food and cooking like pretty much getting ruined on the pass every day because if Isaac didn't know You'd he was out. humble enough to admit it and we were like I remember an argument about the origins of tapioca and I was like hey, it's cassava he said no 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 it's manioc and then we argued about it and opened up the book and the book's like yuca also known as cassava and mantioc is where it t- and it's like those kind of moments like he wasn't interested in being right he was interested in his staff knowing the answers mm-hmm. and I think that's really rare and hopefully yeah, growing for sure. For sure so what was your answer to favorite chef and least favorite chef at that point I really um, really enjoyed watching the the technical side of things so I loved uh, Morimoto and TK um because I knew nothing and that was like the idea of perfection and for what I didn't like was the same thing I still don't like uh, which is a mediocrity like people who fake it till they make it or fake it till they fail I can't stand uh, someone ripping off another chef because that's the current trend Um, and that's that's held fast for 15 years I think (laughs) what so what would your answer be now that you know a little bit more to the chefs you look up to uh hmm this is a super Bay Area answer, but I would say it would be the farmers, first and foremost. Dan Barber, I think the third plate might be the most important book written on food in the last decade or so. Plus one. Um, because he's reforming how we think about it. Yeah. Um, least, uh, one that I might hate would be like every neighborhood restaurant that's trying to be Noma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Pretty, who's pretty who's yours? What you wanted to? Yeah. Um, and I don't I love Noma like, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's the people it's, yeah, the, yeah. it's the ripoffs yeah. there's only one Noma uh, back then no, now what do you now I, I like back then too oh, back back, yeah. back back say when I won the JP award mm-hmm. it was people like Massimo Batura and stuff like that because again I was in Italian food and interested in pushing it forward I felt it was quite stagnant in Sydney at the time um, who I hated I don't I don't think I really had I don't think I knew enough to have an opinion of someone that I didn't like what they were doing but the same kind of thing I mean you look back at or at least for me looking back at my own food from yeah 100% terrible shit yeah (laughs) terrible and now it would be Massimo would almost be the kind of chef that I don't like now because he can be a real cunt and it's very egotistical and that kind of thing and I I have an ego but I'm really about the family environment of a restaurant and that kind of thing. So I don't really like that, that it's all about me and, you know, I'm the star kind of thing. I like, and I'm a lot more casual in my approach now as well. So, yeah, I, I look up to my peers now as well. Like, like guys we do this with and like guys like Lukey and Puskas and 
all those people we talk about, they're the people that I really look up to and they're the ones that make me want to be a better chef. It's not really a guy like Renee or someone like that in a far-off place. It's the guys surrounding me making me want to be better. Yeah, you're just echoing that collaborative mentality. Yeah. Mike, how about you? See, I, I, I didn't really have any... I don't fucking like anyone. No, I, I didn't really. Basically, have any, like, I, I nailed it. I, I was uh, I was older when I started cooking, like I, so I wasn't young. I didn't have like fanboy things. I didn't know anything but about food. Like you don't I didn't have a TK any- poster on your wall. What's that? You don't have a Thomas Keller poster. But you, but you were quite. You were quite a hit. Like you on Tonoma before any of the press in Australia was. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the, you had people that you were interested in. Yeah, I did. Um, I never wanted to work at a place like Noma. I was I was impressed by what they were doing. To be honest, actually, you know what? The, the people that I, I really, when I was younger, uh, I thought the sportsman was the fucking shit. I just love what they were doing. Um, Stephen Ho- uh, Stephen was just killing it, and I still love that now. <clears throat> I thought I really really loved um, what Hugh Fernley was doing when he was teaching himself. I, I got really into people that were teaching themselves to do things. That was what I really. Like was so that inspired echoed, by echoed your path. Yeah, that was that was basically like guys that didn't have any skills that just were really curious. I've always been fascinated by things that like that make me curious. I don't care about like El Bully and all that and and Noma to a degree, but I love that Renee was like, I'm curious about what the fuck's out there and why we don't use it. So I've always liked that sort of stuff, and and that hasn't really changed. Like I don't have any like people now that <clears throat> that inspire me or motivate me or push me i just like anyone that makes things from scratch mm-hmm. so it's not one particular chef but I'm, I'm i'm fascinated by masters of things so when i go through japan a guy that literally just makes one type of noodle every mm-hmm. day i'm just like completely enamored with and i'd like <clears throat> you know people that make bread for a living and people that do charcuterie and people that make cheese and and farmers the same like i like people that find a path go on to it and just totally master it whether it's a stock and you're just a ramen chef who only makes the stock and your friend makes the noodles you know that that shit just i lose my shit over that because i can never do that like i'm not good enough i don't have the skills to do that sort of stuff so i I lose my shit over things that i can't do um as far as running restaurants and all that there's nothing that really impresses me at the moment you guys all think i'm a hater but you know i have a good meal or whatever but i'm i love I love people that just master shit, like hands down, just nail it. Whether you it's think that's hard to find in, in Sydney or in Australia? Because it's no, super hard to find in the States. There's no masters in Australia yeah. as far as I've come across because we have to be too, like, broad. Mm-hmm. So no one's really just doing one Chad thing. Chad Robertson at Tartine in, in San Francisco, I think that's as close as I can get to. Yeah. His bread's unbelievable. Yeah. It's really just the Japanese guys. Yeah. Because yeah. that's like, the part of their culture and stuff, you know? We don't have that culture. Yeah, and, and I certainly don't have an attention span to fucking do the same thing every day. I, I like I'd, I'd happily do it. I just don't know if I'd make a living out of it. You Aaron, know. do you feel like you're going to be a master of semion? Like speaking of like something that you only do like one of. Is that a goal and an intentional thing for you? I th- yeah, I love that grape varietal, and I hope that I get better at it every single year. I think so far I have. Uh, I've got like four vintages from the same vineyard and i think i see improvement every year so god if i mean anything that you do every year if you're learning something and you're improving then that's That's all you can ask for yeah that's the best gift um and that's what keeps you moving every single year so i feel yours is harder than a chef's in that so much of what affects the outcome for you is out of your control Mm. the weather the fires the farming like 
it, even fermentation, like you only have so much that you can control. Mm. And, and, and the choice of buzzwords that you put on the uh, label. Oh, the buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I, but I don't want to control my fermentation. I think the lag time makes it harder because you like put faith into what you're doing and letting nature take its course or whatever. Um, but then you have to wait for you have to wait for that wine to come into its own and to to speak its voice. Whereas, I mean, if you're cooking a steak, you've got like you know 20 minutes, and you know if you did yeah. But if you're making a prosciutto, you God. have two years. Yeah. Uh, but I would still probably lose my mind if I were a winemaker. <laughs> I need the results sooner. Um, going back to what you said, Mike, I think and I always harp on about how much I love eating at like, you know, little ethnic restaurants in, in the suburbs, but I feel like you do find that dedication to cooking the one thing in those restaurants, you know, cooking family rest, family recipes that they grew up with and perfecting them and churning out thousands of those dishes every day. You know, they work the longest hours out of anyone. It's always the same people working behind the, the counter. Yeah, I, know, I, I feel like, you know, it, it certainly isn't on that, you know, higher level um, that you would see in a fine dining restaurant and you know it might not be as exciting but for me that's I don't know why I'm always so no no it's in. not a fine dining you're, you're, that's more on the mark you know what I mean like to like another degree like Michi just pretty much does pasta you know what I mean so it's like but he does six types of pastas or he changes it every three months or so I don't do them very well well it's Shut not up, so much mate. that but if but he just made day. one type of pasta every, not every day, day. <laughs> I mean there's an old saying that that like you've got to do something 10,000 times or 10,000 hours yeah to become a master or something and if you think about that it's a lot of time to dedicate to one thing you know what I mean so yeah. like even like I know it was last time I was going through Asia you know, we were in Singapore and there was a lady just filleting eels. And I reckon she's done about 50,000 eels in her life. And it was phenomenal. She was just using a little razor, like a, just like a blade. And she was just whipping down the side of each eel. And it took her 30 seconds each time. And she'd leave no flesh on any eel. And it was like, to me, that is a master. Like that, that yeah. shit is inspiring. I don't think anyone in Australia can do that. Whether or not it's your Eliana who does 10,000 chickens, like you still get some variation between chickens. You know? Where was that place, mate? That was in Singapore. It was just a market. It was no, no, the, the place in Western Sydney that you just said? Eljana. 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 That was like, yeah, but you still get variation there. Well, Whereas I feel when like those chickens are pretty, pretty, like, you know, for the amount, for the volume they're putting out, the chickens are pretty, like, because I've been lately, I've been eating at the different Lebanese charcoal chicken shops in the area because people are always like, no, this one's better, this one's better. And I've never had one that's as good or as consistent as Eljana. Yeah. yeah. It's never bad, but it's not always at its peak. Sure. Sometimes you go there and it's better. And that difference is. Yeah. W- that these other masters just like I've never had bad bread from Tatin sure like you've eaten it a lot more than me but every time I go there it is just a new type of bread and you reef and you go this is why I don't like sourdough in Australia because it's not as good Uh, try try owning a sandwich shop and being outside of their deliverable area yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's it like you you set your benchmark through eating and when things don't live up to it sometimes you just rub it off your list you know like I'm not going to eat udon in in Sydney nah sure it's like you wouldn't bother yeah because I said the flip of what I said for things that I hate is like when when someone tries to do their version of something that's been done so well and has been done so well and overcomplicates it or only focuses on like particularly you know, hyped part of that dish or whatever and just does it terribly. Like, I feel like there are so many different variations of things I love that are being, you know, done more and more in the city that I just think are shit. Yeah. Well, mediocrity. There's nothing worse than mediocrity. (laughs) 
Fine words to end the episode on Cam Fairbairn. Uh, you've been listening to The Mitch, and thank you so much to all our guests today. Uh, if you want to find uh, Ryan Harris, you can find him inside the proper sandwich in Napa. And where can we find you online? Online, uh, you can follow The Proper at The Proper Sandwich on Instagram or me at The Ryan Harris on Instagram. That's which, one's, which one's better? Uh, if you want to cook at home, you can follow The Ryan Harris. If you want to get hungry, you can follow The Proper Sandwich. <laughs> Um, and Aaron, if we do want to try and uh, track down at least your writings, if not the wine, where Chi can we find out? Uh, you can find me online um, at The Water Trough on all of the medias. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to find my wine here, though, in Australia eventually, because I'm going to try and make some this year in, um, in South Australia. So oh, watch awesome. this space. Cool. Awesome. And your website is? Oh, weichiwine.com. How do you spell that? W-E-I-C-H-I. W A Y C H E. What's it mean? It means before completion. It's it's a hexagram from the I Ching. So cool. uh, that evolution that we've been talking about that for the last hour, I guess. So. Um, M Levens can be found at M Levens on Instagram. <laughs> the least represented Levens on the internet. <laughs> she's, she's, she's about to change it to the better Levens. <laughs> um, have you got any exciting events coming up in New York? Uh, yeah, I do. But they're as mysterious as my internet personality. All right. So you can't even, not even like a, a little tantalizing tidbit? No. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cam, where can we find you, Doc? I am at Cam Fairburn on Instagram. And if you Still follow sitting me, on you'll four see Instagram about, pictures. Uh, ten Instagram ten. pictures. Wow. Uh, it's gone up, Mitchie. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's pretty exciting to I don't, you I don't know what's going to come next. You can also find him at the Ethiopian Jazz Place tomorrow night. That's true. I love it. Anything Ethiopian or jazz related, I'll probably be at. And if not, I will be at Acme pretending to do a job. <laughs> you should come out to Maryland with me and go to the Ethiopian place. Have you been there yet? Nah. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Yeah, all right. Let's do it. <laughs> um, you can, uh, like Cam, you can find Mitch at Acme a few nights during the, during the week. Um, and online, he's Instacrill or Krillin on the Run on Twitter. Hopefully, he'll start tweeting again so I can quote him in the future <laughs> in our award-winning segment, <laughs> Shit Chef's Tweet. <laughs> uh, Mike, I get Pinbone, yeah. at Pinbone. Um, and where will you be cooking soon that we can find you? Uh, nowhere. Nowhere, great. Nowhere. We're not doing anything. No tantalizing tidbits? <laughs> uh, next week. I'll, do, I'll give you one next week. Okay. I'll give you one Excellent. next week. We're, doing, we're going to Lombok, actually, in Bali, but then... That's all. We're cooking in a, a, a resort called Quincy no one Resort. Shut up. I do. I'm going to be sitting on a beach. <laughs> you can find me online at LevDog, but more importantly, you can find The Mitchin online at facebook.com slash The Mitchin or send us an email, themitchin at gmail.com, themitchinpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any, uh, any ideas for future episodes, any guests that you want us to try us have, to have on. Have you checked? I do. I check it regularly. We're going to, we're going to do a feedback and emails uh, episode soon. So That's please, great. if you want to just ins- insult the staff uh, be about the of the mission. long episode. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people that think we're fuckwits. It could be really funny. <laughs> Send us an email. Or just hit us up on I'm Facebook. Definitely going to write one about libs. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, it's really, really great whenever we see a new review on uh, the iTunes page. So please head there. Find us online. The Mitchin. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to our guests. See you next week. Bye. Bye. It's the Mitchin Podcast with Krill Dog and Andy. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.